1: They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. I'll have people tell me, you know, I love Jesus. I don't want anything to do with the church. Church full of wicked hypocrites and all this stuff, and I go, Congratulations! and they say, What you're doing the work of your father, the devil,
2: you're not David, the Bible's not about you. Ask me what I know, don't
3: ask me what I feel about myself, ask me what I know about God. Ask me what
2: I know about his word. Ask me what I know to be a verity that can deal with my soul. That's what I need.
1: I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. Give us some men who know the truth and who will declare the truth and who will stand with Athanasius and Polycarp and Calvin and Luther and Whitfield and Edwards and who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power
0: of God and of salvation.
4: Hey everyone, welcome to the Roundtable 10. Today we have two special guests, along with Alex and Paul, of course. Uh, Our two special guests are the Berean Millennial, Katie, and Faithful Defender, and Leanne. And today we're going to be talking about um, women's roles in general, and then we're going to do your Q&A, all the questions that you guys submitted Uh, This week, including uh, some questions that I had left over before we officially start. I want to just let everyone know who listens to my show that next week there will not be an episode. Uh, Do you guys have anything you want to throw in there, Alex and Paul, for y'all show? No, I
1: think we're going to be this will air Tuesday and then Friday we'll have content and then we'll drop episodes through Christmas week. So so I'm the slacker and you guys aren't pretty
4: much. All right. But you're way better than us. So (laughs) true. So um, do you guys, Katie and Leanne, want to introduce yourselves? Most people are probably familiar if they're uh, jumping on here, but if you want to do a brief introduction, feel free.
0: Sure. Leanne, you go first. Okay, sure. Um,
5: my name's Leanne, and I am found um, on Instagram at Faithful Defender. Um, I am married to my husband. We've been married for eight years. We have two small children. Um, my background, uh, I have a BA in Christian Studies um, and have served since I graduated college in different uh, various um Teaching roles, ministry roles have always been close to the church, close to ministry. Uh, but my full-time job now is being home with my kids, serving there and in home, and, in my home. And um, recently, have stepped out into this Instagram world of helping people um, defend the faith um, using just logic, reason, apologetics, and scripture. So that's a little bit about
4: me. Awesome.
0: All right. Um, my name is Katie. Um, my handle is the Brian Millennial. Um, I've been married to my husband for about six years. I also have two toddlers, um, one and three-year-old boys. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and sometimes I do part-time graphic design. Um, I don't have all those awesome credentials that Leanne has, but fortunately with scripture. <laughs> Fortunately, I went to a really awesome church yeah. that taught apologetics on a master's level. Um, you can get an uh, you can get an Institute of Biblical Studies degree through the church. I've taken pretty much all of those classes, um, so not officially, but I've studied Scripture enough on my own to where I feel called and led to teach other women apologetics, discernment, biblical motherhood, womanhood all the things. So we're excited to be here.
4: Awesome. Um, with that said, uh, we'll can, we can just go ahead and go right into it and we'll start off with a question to kind of snowball it. And the question is, as a woman, can I run a blog to teach both male and female Christians and still obey scripture? How would you guys address that?
5: Yeah. Um, I have some thoughts. I know Katie has uh, talked about it before on her page. Um, I would say first and foremost, I would, um, I try and offer um, a caveat to any t- um, man that comes to my page. It uh, sends me a message to, uh, to first reach out to his circle of influence. If it's a pastor or um, other men, he's learning from. Um, I, I think my page is primarily directed to women. I, you know, I have a lot of uh, information for moms and wives and just the proper biblical role of women in the church. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong if, uh, you can't really control if a man comes to your page or if you have a book out there, read your book or something like that. Um, I think it's say it's, safe and proper to, like I said, if they are coming to you personally, like they're a direct message or uh, email or something asking for advice, it's proper for that woman, especially if she's married, like I am to direct him to his, you know, personal circle of influence. Um, and of course, to scripture. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, of course, women can teach other women. So like I said, my page, and I think Katie would feel the same is mainly directed towards women anyway but you can't really control who's looking at your page. I don't know if you agree with that, Katie.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I've got a highlight bubble that says like a PSA to men. And it's just like, my page is directed towards women. Um, If you're going to message me and ask for advice, the same thing that you said, because in scripture, 1 Timothy 2.12, we are not to teach or exercise authority over a man. Um, And I am not trying to direct my content to teach every man if if a guy messages me and tries to ask me theological questions and then i'm trying to walk them through all the scriptures and teaching them why this is this um i don't feel like that's my role so as leanne i would direct her to you know here's a great mail page ask them or something like that and as leanne said i've also got a husband and I just wouldn't be right for me to be going back and forth with a male really about anything much. So, right.
4: so that kind of raises
0: so,
4: Go ahead. So that kind of raises a question that you guys probably get semi regularly. Um what about women in terms of uh, discipling or talking to men outside of the church or sharing the gospel? How how do you categorize that for individuals who may be asking you about the topic of women's roles?
5: outside of the church walls?
4: Uh, yeah, like I've, I've heard the argument, well, you know, um, if, if women can't exercise authority over men, can they share the gospel and things of that nature? I don't know if Alex or Paul I have mean, heard yeah, that before.
0: Absolutely, we can. We're all charged with the Great Commission, so yeah, I can share the gospel with you, and we can have a conversation about theology, I would say, outside of church walls. I can say, well, I believe this because of this scripture, and then you can say you believe this because of this scripture, but I'm not saying sit down and listen to me and I'm going to teach you this point of view, this point, this point, and this point, and exercise any sort of spiritual authority over the man. What would you say, Leanne? I don't know.
5: I think sharing the gospel, like Katie said, is for everyone. Um, the great commission's for everyone. Um, if are encounter, you know, uh, a male uh, outside of the walls of the church. And he's asking you questions about how do I, how can I be saved or who is Jesus? Or, I mean, who are we (laughs) walk away and say, um, I think you need to go talk to uh, a man about this. I feel, um, it's sharing the gospel, who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, um, you know, his resurrection, all of that, um, is essential. Um, the great commission, like, said is for everyone to share. Um, but you know, if they're already, uh, in like having a conversation about theology, like basic questions, I think that's fine. Pointing them to scripture, um, pointing back to scripture. And then, um, you walk away from that conversation and you point them to a man they can learn from or a church to get involved in. But I don't think that cuts, uh, women off from sharing the gospel with, with men. I just think that would be, uh, ridiculous to walk away, um, from that opportunity. all
0: oh, right right. Like the women at the tomb went and proclaimed Christ. The woman at the well went and proclaimed Christ. So we can proclaim, oh my goodness, proclaim Christ, but we can't, yeah. we're not going there and, and breaking open the scriptures and teaching. Now we can share the gospel. And then as Leanne said, direct them towards a male leadership. That would be our role. Right.
4: I know, uh, Paul probably has some thoughts on that to put you on the spot. Do I? i don't know i I, for some reason i just felt like paul had thoughts
3: (laughs) i do have a question though until what age is like the limit for a male Mm -hmm. child to be taught by their mother or anyone in the church in place of like sunday school teachers or stuff like that
5: yeah i've heard this question before um uh, I think, and I could be wrong. Um, I've heard Vody Bachum talk about um, this transition in their home um, with their uh, their kids. They kind of um, his wife uh, made a he and his wife made a judgment to hand off their sons to the training um, uh, of scripture and things like that at the age of 12, maybe 13, something like that. Um, and that was just their household decision. I, um, this comes from the video he did about homeschooling and all of that, but they, um, uh, they talked about this and they saw there's kind of a rite of passage that their sons take in leaving um, the nurture and teaching of the mother, um, and they follow his dad. They travel with him, and I know that's not everybody's situation, but I think that's kind of maybe uh, up to each household. But 12 and 13 kind of seems like a legitimate age. I don't know if you feel the mm-hmm. same way, Katie.
0: Yeah, no, I was going to say about 12, mm-hmm. probably, when it yeah. You guys know church history way better than we do. And mm-hmm. But if I'm not mistaken, in biblical times, the male would go out with a father probably about age 12 and be working full-time in the fields yeah. and things like that. And that's when the father and the parenting would really start to take over at that point. Is, is that correct?
3: Yeah, the bar mitzvah age is around that. Right. 12 and 13.
0: So that's when, you know, a man would need that real headship of teaching that now boy to be a man and a leader and i would think that's when the dad really would need to step in with a lot of the teaching role
3: what if i'll, I'll just put an extreme situation here what if the dad is
6: mm-hmm.
3: unable mm-hmm. for any single reason as being a drunkard or drug yeah. addict or not even there just absent Is well, the, the mother to mother step would. in
0: yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and then point him to as many male mentors as possible. So a grandfather, a man in the church. Um, so I've read the book Devoted by Tim by Tim Challies. Have you read that, Leanne? I've heard of it. I've not read it. It's it's a book where Tim puts together a lot of stories. Um, I believe Spurgeon's story is in there. Um, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. What was his name?
3: John Newton. Yes, John Newton.
0: Um, Piper, it's a lot of heroes of the faith that stories of how their mothers spiritually led them because yes. their fathers were absent for certain reasons. And the Lord honored that. And a lot of them, uh, put importance on finding other men to pour into those children with the absence of a father, which is right. very important.
5: Yeah. And I can speak from experience. My father was, um, a drunkard and left our home when my, I was 10 or nine and 10 and my brother was, uh, four and five. And so my mom, of course, when he was, my brother was in those really young ages. Um, my grandmother also moved in to help us, uh, raised, you know, they were the sole, uh, uh, spiritual advisors for him. And then as he got older, um, found uh, men and, uh, in our church to do that as, um, he was, um, going through, um, just growth and changes. And of course helped him, um, when he, um, in his profession of faith. Um, but that was our situation. I know every situation like that's a little bit different, but I think it would be the mom's job to do it and then, um, find the people in her church that could help step in and be that fatherly role. Especially yeah. if she doesn't, you know, remarry and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's what happened from, with my brother and he, um, turned out great. He's one of my best friends. So good, good experience there.
4: Yeah. I've, I've heard it said that, um, that Timothy was sort of in a situation like that, but I don't know that you can, yeah. you could actually verify something. Right. Like, from like Timothy
0: one, five, where Paul tributes Timothy to his mother and grandmother's that his faith to them. Right. So that's a really encouraging verse for all mothers out there that Paul pays great tribute to his grandmother and mother for instilling the Christian faith in his son. So anyone out there that's struggling or feels like they are the only ones pouring in, just know that it's a lot of people and God will honor that. And there's grace for that. Yeah,
5: I agree.
4: So that so that kind of answers a question that we got earlier about a woman having to step in, and I think you, you guys covered it pretty well. I know that, and I don't want to tread back over too much with the first question, I know that I've had eagle terror i cannot talk tonight— that I've had uh, the feminist-type theologians come and um, tell me that sharing the gospel is teaching theology, because the gospel encompasses theology. How would you— because I don't know how often you guys have encountered that. I have seen it almost in every discussion with a mm-hmm. with someone of the feminist persuasion.
0: Oh,
5: yeah,
4: definitely.
0: Well, <laughs> we're not called to not share theology. We're called to not exercise authority over a male. So,
4: so, so how would you categor? Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was going. With like, how would you mm-hmm. categorize the difference there?
0: Well, I would categorize the difference from the actual examples we see in scripture. We always have to go back to scripture. Where women were running down the street proclaiming Christ. That is not exercising authority over a man in teaching them the whole counsel of the scriptures. That is not dividing truth. It is just proclaiming Christ. The heavens and the earth proclaim proclaim Christ. We can also proclaim Christ and it not be an authoritative teaching role. And it's also not within the walls of the church where women are to be silent.
6: Right. So, right.
0: Yeah. So I you, think you just have to figure, yeah, I mean, I
5: piggyback after everything Katie just said, what is authority um, when you're telling someone about Jesus? And of course, there's theology in that. And that's, I mean, that's just kind of the nature of sharing the gospel with people, but um, you're not, um, you're not in an authoritative position over that man that you just met you know, in the grocery store or on the street or on a mission trip or something. You're just sharing who Jesus is and what he did for us and offering them um, salvation. That's not, um, of course, I mean, I guess someone could say that the gospel message itself is authoritative, but you're not in a role exercising authority over that particular man. You're just sharing the good news. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. so that's
0: where I fall on that. I think people are just making, they're just using gymnastics to, you can take any any stance and use and twist the Bible and do gymnastics to make it fit your narrative.
4: So. Well, we we never see anything like that.
0: <laughs> oh no, we never do. Yeah.
4: Do you have any <laughs> thoughts, today. Alex? Before we move on to uh,
1: yes and no. <laughs> I mean, I think you guys, I think you guys nailed it. Um, I mean, I don't know what else I could really add. You know, I, I think what it boils down to is, is something very simple, and, and I think today's feminist society wants to uh, really segregate a lot of things, and, and I see the church even doing that as well, that women shouldn't say anything at all. They should not talk about Christ, that they should keep mm-hmm. their mouth quiet, and it, it's a sin for them to even think about talking about Christ to somebody. And, you know, Katie, as you brought up, that that scripture just doesn't give us those examples. And I think we've got two very uh, extreme sides to the argument that of uh, the role women play in a church. And uh, I don't see a problem with women giving the gospel to somebody. That's not teaching them theology, that's not teaching them doctrine, that's proclaiming Christ. Mm -hmm. Teaching them doctrine is for them to sit down with a Bible, a commentary, a study Bible, notes, sermons, and saying, okay, this is what these verses are saying. This is the context to it. This is the history of it. This is, that is teaching doctrine and theology. And we just, you know, women aren't called into that role, but that doesn't exclude them from proclaiming Christ, sharing the gospel. hey, have you heard about this guy named Jesus? And... I, you know and, and I see that some people just hold a real radical I mean it's a it's a little bit rare for the for the church to hold a radical view that women shouldn't share at all but uh, it's it's I've seen it it's there
6: mm-hmm.
5: and I think the feminists who want to uh the, the feminists who use that argument that um you know the church just, just wants to quiet women they're not even allowed to share the gospel look at the women at the tomb i honestly think that's an emotional argument they're trying to get people worked up because they're like look at you know mary at the tomb and like there's no it doesn't really go beyond that like they're like i just feel like that if you really sit down with someone who who was saying that doesn't hold water they're just saying that to capture someone's attention in a tweet or uh Instagram post and they're not really explaining what the difference is between the woman at the tomb, the woman who served with Paul, and what the difference is between, you know, Second Timothy and what that means. So they're just trying to pull it in a heartstring and yeah. That's that's my that's been my opinion and take on it when I see women use that argument, the feminist side you use know, that
1: argument. It's funny because you, you just kind of touched on a point that I was wanting to say, but I couldn't put the words together, is most of these radical views, if you really boil it down, are only for social media popularity. Oh yeah. For Think sure. Think about <laughs> it this way. If you didn't have the internet today or social media for that matter, how radical would you be in front of a crowd of people?
0: Oh yeah.
1: Outside of the IFB
4: people, how radical would you be? <laughs> <laughs> you
0: wouldn't. Yeah. I don't
6: so yeah.
4: Um, so I, I had the, the thought to kind of, uh, I guess, stretch this a little bit more to um, Beth Moore, for example, has said that she started preaching by teaching women only and mm-hmm. it just continued to grow. And then men started attending with that. How would you how would you what would you say, I guess, about that situation where a woman is allegedly preaching, but for women and then men start coming in
0: uh the elders oh, have failed yeah for the sure. elders <laughs> have failed okay yeah they, and if we well, got-
4: how would we say about like a conference so to speak
5: uh-huh um
4: to make the scenario is so- difficult obviously
5: <laughs> right has she um and i think i've heard her say this before but when she is and i'm just trying to boil it down just to beth Moore, since we're talking about that here but has she said that when that happened to her it was in church like she was preaching in church or it was at conferences when men's just started attending do you know
4: from what i understand it was conferences first and then eventually she was moved into a quote-unquote okay. pastoral position i could be mistaken mm-hmm. but
5: yeah um i have some personal thoughts about women teaching at conferences. From what I know of Beth Moore, she was teaching at women's conferences to begin with and I don't know why men would be going to women's conferences. I mean that was my first like <laughs> take on it. So if a men show, if a man shows up to a women's conference, I think that's confusing. I don't know why he's there. Um, Maybe just as like a spouse support for his wife that's there. Um, But that just seems odd. If it's a conference for all like, uh, like mixed uh, congregation or mixed audience. um, My, my personal view is that um, I don't think she should be teaching in front of a mixed congregation at a conference. I know that's, that's, not a popular opinion. I think Katie has the same kind of view if it's a mixed congregation or audience at a conference.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, Leanne and I align on that. Um, I think that in a mixed conference, a mixed congregation conference, a woman should also only be teaching a mixed audience if she is A, with her husband up there. Yeah. So they could possibly be talking That's about true, marriage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or B, if they're talking about child or see if they're trying to talk about heading up a women's ministry in your church, if it's some type of conference like that. Um, mm-hmm. What I'd say where she's where she went wrong is, first of all, from her women's conferences, she started teaching rogue doctrine. So she started um, teaching extra revelation. So a little leaven, leaven uh, leaven's a whole lump. And she started out in her women's ministries wrong. So then, from there, she got mixed with the wrong group, the Lifeway group, who was also wrong, and invited her into the mixed congregations, and it just snowballed from there. It snowballed from her doing what she was called to do, but she did it wrong, the wrong way, and from there on, everyone in those conferences were compromising, and it led to a bigger compromise, and now we've got the beast of Beth Moore that we've got today.
5: And maybe she should have offered. If we're gonna go back in time and say what she should have done, maybe she should have offered a caveat, like put something on the ticket she was selling or in the book. She absolutely say, should. Yeah, like say, um, I'm, you know, men. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you brought your wives, but this is for women, and you should like what we offered at the beginning when we yeah. said we were talking to men who show up in our private messages and stuff like that. She should have done that, like offered that kind of caveat. So, for the conference.
0: At my old church, I just remember this. They had a women's conference and a men's conference, and they had, like, the, the elders outside, and they literally would not let men come in, and then vice versa, because I remember my husband was dropping me off, and they were made the joke, like, you can't come in these doors, though, right, or something. So, you know, the lack of leadership and their protection for the biblical model of the church is, yeah. the, is the issue. That is right. the issue, and that is how we get this this where we're at.
4: Elder bodyguards.
0: It's just for protection, like basically. Say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, elder bodyguards.
4: Done. Yeah, that's what I heard. Elder, elder bouncers.
0: <laughs> well, you know, that's what we have to do in this insane culture.
4: That isn't. That is interesting.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So, I have a follow-up question to that. Since we're talking about conferences and mixed audiences and all this, I was in the Year conference of 2018, and Rosaria Butterfield. I don't know if you've heard of her.
6: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. She's,
3: she gave an address of basically her, her gospel testimony, her yes. conversion testimony. I was the there in the audience, yeah. and it was a mixed audience of about yeah. five to six thousand people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Testimonies right. are different. What I about think. that? Testimonies and prayers are fine. I keep meaning yes. to say that because yeah, that I is too. not. Thank you for asking that. Mm-hmm. That is not teaching through the Bible. So you mm-hmm. can share your story mm-hmm. and how Christ has worked in your life. You're not in church. You're at a conference. You can share Christ's work in your life. You can pray. You're just not to teach. Right.
4: So talking about that and then talking about Beth Moore and false teachers, basically, the, the question <laughs> yeah. that I had mentioned before the show started that we had gotten was, how does a woman biblically refute false teachings or teachers, I guess, in this uh, situation as well?
0: do you want to answer Leanne, or i can
5: uh yeah i don't know if, maybe if you know i think i need some maybe some clarification Not around false. it but so go ahead
3: but answer nick first and then I'll, I'll try to follow that up if i can
0: okay well i think we're all called to rebuke exhort call out false teachers um my main heart is to educate women on false teachers. Also, I'm not standing up in church and rebuking on false teachers. That would be the pastor's job. To, and he's all, and the pastor and elder's jobs are also not to let false teachers' studies in the church. Yeah. So I think just outside of church, or we could go with our husbands to the leadership and say, Hey, why do you have this study in the In the church. So it would be under the headship of my husband if I were to go approach anyone in the church about a false teacher, but it would be in private. And then as far as social media, again, it's just warning women. My Mm -hmm. page is, I've said it on my page is primarily for women. If men come there and learn something about a false teacher, well, again, I'm not teaching them scripture, but it's not my intent.
5: Yeah. I think there's a place, I mean, sometimes these conversations where you're refuting a false teacher, they're just talking to the people, you know, in your life. Yeah. I mean, that's how I started talking. Like I'd learned these things. I'd learn about false teachers or false teachings. And I would just tell the women in my life, you know, my mom, yes. my mother-in-law, my friends. And then, you know, some people in my life are like, well, do you share this stuff online? Or my husband was like, maybe you should sell more people because, um, you know, and so the platform that we have with our Instagram accounts and other places um, is just sharing information um, about. I mean, why, why would if you are a true follower of Christ and you see someone, whether it's a woman or a man, preaching false doctrine, why would you not be burdened enough with that to refute it and share that information with whoever's in your life? And if you have like these social media platforms that we have. And we're trying to share with women um, and like if men come and learn, that's fine um, about false teachings, then um, why not use it to help? I mean, yeah. That,
0: why would you not warn people?
5: Right. Because you love the Lord and you you see his, you know, his word being mishandled, you see, the gospel being mishandled. I think it's a burden for all believers to want to rightly uh, represent who Christ is and what Scripture says about Him. Um, and if there, is, so and then there's a time and place. Katie kind of briefly touched on it to formally do that. If you need to talk to your pastor about it because they're bringing in, you know, right, um, bad music or books or teachings or whatever, then there is a proper way to do. You should go with your husband. You should set up a meeting with your spouse to do that. You shouldn't, um, because it, it affects him too, especially if it's happening in your church. So there's a proper way if it's happening within the walls of your church. And then sometimes it's just conversations you have with people in your life. Like, did you know this, um, here's scripture to refute this person. And then I think, social media can be a blessing in that way i mean there's a lot of ups and downs with social media but if you can get your message out to refute okay. really popular false teachers then why not do that right. I hope that makes sense
3: you guys basically answered my follow-up question but mine was a bit more radical okay. what if you're at a church and you've been convicted of the reality that the doctrine that they preach is false uh-huh. call it a charismatic church or IFB or, or anything of that sort. And the pastor just spews out false doctrine after false doctrine mm-hmm. and no one does anything. And you feel compelled as a woman to stand up to that false teacher and rebuke them in front of the whole church and you're not married. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's kind of a weird yeah. situation, but it can happen. What sure. would you do then?
5: Is it proper to, and I'm asking this cause I don't know, is it proper to do it in front of the whole church or should you no. try and do it? Have you, you go one
0: to one, then you
5: go. You've oh, already, let, yeah. Yeah, Matthew. 18. You
0: go with a group. What's right. the
5: order that's already been done? Like, have they done the private one-on-one and all of those things, and then you
0: you leave the church. Yeah, I think a woman is a woman wouldn't be called to stand up in church and rebuke the leader by ever. herself now ever.
5: Yeah.
4: So
0: I. You would <laughs> leave quietly. Yeah. So, if if you've if you've gone to him in private possibly with a group. If other males have told him and he's just completely unrepentant then you would just leave mm-hmm. and so, you let the Lord deal with him.
4: So I'm going to throw out a trick question because okay. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm good for. Um, so, you know, the, the big distinction that, that keeps popping up is what, well, what's happening within a church, within the structure, within the order, and then what's happening without. And of course the internet kind of blurs weird lines and mixes all that, whatever. Mm -hmm. Whenever it comes to calling out false teachers, do you address males or only female false teachers? And if you address males, then how would you answer someone who says, well, aren't you exercising authority over a male by doing the role of another person who should be, I guess, calling them out as a male? I don't know how how to frame that question.
0: Mm, No, because I'm just gathering public information and putting it together. Yeah. I don't think that's authoritative. You're just it's not authoritative. I'm just, yeah. Yeah. You're just sharing information. Like
5: here's what he said in his sermon last week. Here's the video of it. Here is how it's false compared to what scripture says. It's just information. And you're sh- sharing that um, you're online. You're sharing or... that
0: and saying, oh, go ahead.
5: No, that's it. That's fine. Go ahead.
0: You're sharing that and saying, hey, this preacher has a million followers, so it's not my church, but Hey, sister, I know that you watch the preacher online of this church, and here are some things I've gathered straight from his mouth, and here is what the Bible says about it. That is not exercising authority over him.
1: Yeah, I'd like to chime in on that, too, because I think you guys are pretty close on that, and I'd, I'd agree that social media uh, isn't an authoritative platform. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, yes. ca- I've called out plenty of my false teachers in, in on my, in my tenure. And it's not a, it's not a platform for such, but it's, it, it's an informational platform. So, I, yeah. mean, I, I mean, I've seen, there's tons of women that run pages that call out false teachers. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see an issue with it. What I see an issue is is in the real world where things actually do matter yeah. and yeah. Ch- actually any church setting that yeah. I think is when we see uh, biblical application actually take effect.
4: Well, but I, we all live I'm, in the I'm online the church era. now. What's that? <laughs> so we all live in the online church era anyway. Yeah.
1: I, I was, you know, I was just going to say, I'm like, I'm at a point where, you know, social media is just becoming a big platform of make believe. And oh, yeah. it's just other than maybe sharing some posts today, I'm, I'm completely checking out on a lot of things. And I'm just, because I, I don't, there's no edification for it for me. And. You know, I I got way more stuff to do in the real world where mm-hmm. I, I I got my I have my real Bible in my hand. I've got seventy five yeah. books in my reading stack. I got seminary, full time work, my wife, and my kid. You know, yeah. I got I got I got life to live. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's and cool that people why, take yeah. the charge. You know, it's cool people take the charge online, but I don't think that's an authoritative platform.
5: Yeah, it's information. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So yeah. w- with with that we we've kind of gone probably about thirty minutes of I know Can we I did, have one last question yeah what you got <laughs> and by the way girls you have handled
3: yourselves absolutely perfectly and exemplary <laughs> thank you
6: <Agreed. laughs> what is
3: something that we haven't really set down what is having authority over a man
6: mm.
4: oh that should have been a first question yeah
5: that's a great question the
4: host is slacking <laughs>
5: um well in um church setting If we're talking about second Timothy, uh, or first Timothy two. Um, uh, that's kind of where I pull, that's where, you know, Paul talks about having, uh, he says, I don't uh, allow a woman to have authority over a man. And that comes within the church settings. So you have to look at that context of what everything he's laid out beforehand, how the church is supposed to be run. Um, so in that context, um, you know, that's where we get that women can't be um, pastors or elders um, within the church, because I think anytime that you open um, the word of God to go through what, uh, to teach what scripture says, to teach doctrine, um, to help people understand it, the word of God itself is authoritative. Um, And so I think that applies to women who, Are trying to be pastors, you can't do that. Um, And then he also uses the role of, um, you know, uh, how the house is set up or the home is set up. You know, the uh, the man is the head of the woman because Christ is the head of the church, and so that sets that authority. So we have the model of how is Christ the authority of the church? That's how the uh, husband is the authority over the wife, and it all models each other. But in the church setting, authority, I think, is opening the Word of God, expositing it, and teaching the congregation how to interpret the text, how to live their life as a Christian. And that's authoritative, and a woman can't do that. So uh, that's my initial take. Katie, I don't know if you—I'm sure you have things to add. Yeah,
0: to that. well, that was exactly what you said, was I, was what I was going to say. Um, the reason that—or what is spiritual authority is— the male is outlined to be the spiritual leader of the home. And with the spiritual leader of the home, they're also outlined to be the spiritual leaders of the overseers and elders of the church. Yeah. So, as we see, um, God and his triune self is submissive to himself, yeah. Christ to God, the Holy Spirit to Christ. We are also submissive in our homes to our husbands and the spiritual leaders as spiritual leaders and then our children, us. So the wife is to obey the husband and the husband's headship is Christ. So leadership and authority is, you know, the husband leads the wife. So in no, in no way should a woman come outside of that and lead a male spiritually. So women, I don't know if that answers your question, but we are to be submissive and anytime you step out of that submissive role within your home and then even more so with the church body, you're out of line because Scripture says that it was Eve that was deceived, not Adam. So women should not be leading. You should not be going out of the headship of your home and then out of your biblical role within the church.
4: Great. Perfect. So uh, we're going to be getting a lot of messages about whether or not ESS (laughs) is true, Paul. (laughs) Um, So when it comes to, well, this question is kind of related, but I kind of wanted to move into the the question uh, Q&A part. So we're going to throw some random ones, which by the way, Paul and Alex, if you guys see one you want to throw out, but uh, one that kind of relates to motherhood and parenting in general, but, So Frozen 2, Moana, (laughs) etc. Is it okay for kids because of the magic and the false gods?
5: To watch those things?
4: Yes, for kids.
0: Okay. Um. Well, (laughs) we haven't seen any of them because I have little boys. But Mm. I, if, okay, so I haven't seen them. But if I saw something like that on there... I would probably turn it off if it, I don't know what it's got on there, but if it has, um, false gods and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, then no, we probably wouldn't watch it. Yeah.
5: Um, I, this may be personal, um, to each household, but, um, my decision right now with my kids is to guard that, um, for my kids. Um, when they get older and they ask about it or maybe they see it at a friend's house, uh, have the discussion, obviously don't be afraid of discussing what's right, right. And wrong with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what my parents did with me. That's what I, how I remember being raised on the old Disney movies was my mom pausing the movies and talking to me about what, what's fake in this. I mean, it's all fake, but you know, like, why is it magic real? Why is what, this person is doing disobedient to their parent like I vividly remember those conversations when I was older so I my hope is that I could do the same with my kids my son my oldest is three so we're not having too deep theological conversations yet but we're talking to him about what's real and what's not and um, right now with Christmas and everything going on you know Santa's not real (laughs) I hope Right. I should have given that caveat. Not. I don't think there's right. any kids listening, but, um, you know, having that conversation with him, like this isn't real, but Jesus is. And so maybe that's a personal decision within each person's home. I've heard some really great conversations about, um, using it as teaching lessons. You don't want to shelter your kids completely, uh, you want to be able to expose right. things like that and be able to have those conversations. Don't be afraid to have those conversations, basically, I guess. Right. Um, it They're depends on your kid's age. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, just
0: equip them accordingly.
4: So, Paul, you, you have a little girl and she wants to watch Moana and Frozen 2. What do you think? Or what Me? about your dog? What Would you let your dog watch those movies?
3: Never. I have an eight-year-old niece, by the way. Oh, and yeah. W- whenever okay. I, I see her watching those kind of movies, I... I either turn them off or stay watching them with her with and explain do exactly yeah. what a girl said. Explain why that's false. and right. I, I don't know how, how thick it's a, an eight-year-old's brain, but
6: mm-hmm.
3: I, I I do what I can. She's a bit okay. stubborn, though. What do you think, Alex?
4: I I have an opinion that's probably going to stick Alex or Thumb, but I'm going last <laughs> on purpose.
1: Okay. I'm probably... I'm probably going to be the the guy that's going to flip everything on its head. Sweet. I won't be the one. Break (laughs) the TV. You know, I grew up in a secular home. And uh, so I grew up watching everything. Uh, As a young adult, I watched a ton of just terrible movies. Um, And so through my Christian walk, that's one of the things that I've really tried to step away from is so much of the just – garbage
6: mm-hmm.
1: content that's out there uh, i still watch some stuff that's humorous and it, you know you guys would probably be like that's or not you guys but people listening would probably be the first to jump on the bandwagon and tell me that's not christian and you shouldn't watch that <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it it's not explicit it's not sexual it's just stupid comedy or it's mm-hmm. you know maybe it's an action movie or whatever um so because i watch it my kid watches it um, but I won't watch things that are scary or, or, or sexual in yeah. nature or uh, gory or things that I know that would corrupt her. Um, she's only 20 months old, so she's like <laughs> – I mean she's absorbing, but she yeah. doesn't understand stuff yet. So as she gets older, uh, I, I don't – I mean as long as it's not satanic yeah. or, or, or like just flat out terribly blasphemous – I don't really see a problem with it, but in our house, we don't really we're not avid TV watchers. Uh, most of the time, the TV's on for a matter of a couple of hours at night, and that's tops because I've got so much going on at night. My wife's got so much going on during the day. We just we, we'll turn we we use the Amazon Fire, so we just turn yeah. on Spotify and put music on. And right. my daughter loves it. She plays with books more than she does anything else. So, awesome. I mean, that's just yeah, kind of awesome. where we're at with with Life, but and she watches, you know, her little. She's got a little dog show or something on Disney that she likes. Eh, it's fine. It's G rated. No mm-hmm. bad content. What that.
3: The watching CNN?
1: <laughs> I would burn the TV,
5: torch the TV. <laughs> <laughs> the TV. Uh, yeah.
4: Um. For, for so for me, my 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 daughter is five, um, and she she's a pistol. Is that the right word? Um, like she yeah. she can explain substitutionary atonement, she can tell you about the Trinity, and she was debating kids awesome. on the playground about the real Saint Nicholas the other day. But <laughs> that's um, awesome. That's great. Yeah. Good job. When it comes to stuff like that, because the reason why I was actually the one who was like, I want to see what other people will say about this. I saw an article about Frozen Two and about how it, it seems new age and it has all this magic.
5: Yes, I did I think I read something like that too.
4: Right. For me, I am okay with her watching that. We vet what we watch anyway. We look for educational stuff for the most part, but movie night's kind of a big thing for us here. Uh, It's just kind Mm -hmm. of how I grew up. So whenever I see Frozen 2 or Moana, um, for me, it's a reaffirmation that these things are false. My daughter will never leave watching Moana thinking that Maui is a real god. And I kind of like that. Disney did that favor for me. And so whenever we talk about it and we're explaining concepts, (sighs) it's kind of like she's going to, be introduced to other religions at some point anyway. So right. might as well have mm-hmm. the first ones be these cartoons that yes. seem fake.
6: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
4: And of course there's good principles that you draw out of it and all that jazz. Um, mm-hmm. of course I there's the downside think age get... appropriate. Oh yeah. yeah like appropriate. Your
0: daughter's mm-hmm. a little bit older and Absolutely. our children are a little bit younger. So Absolutely. it's like, it's harder to explain those concepts without induct like getting that normal and calloused. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah. We, we vet every movie. Um, we'll watch it before. I don't know if y'all ever heard of common sense media, but we look on there and it's a great, great resource, but it's just Mm -hmm. one of those things that, um, we've been challenged on it before. And so I was like, I want to see what other people say about this. Mm -hmm. So I threw that out there. Yeah.
5: It's a good question.
4: Um, Let's see. Do you see any questions that pop out, Paul?
3: I'm still thinking that a five-year-old can explain the Trinity.
1: <laughs> well, well, it's Nick's daughter, so, I mean, that explains yeah, that. Yeah, that explains the, She's the a mini way. genius.
4: Um, J- Jason was joking that I should get her on the show. I'll have to think about it.
6: Oh be awesome.
4: don't expose her to that. <laughs> we'll do us. We'll, we'll do a catechism. I mean, oh trigger work. No, yeah, not us. We're terrible. We'll do a catechism uh on the show and then people will get triggered that we did a catechism. That'd be awesome. Make it make sure it's the Lutheran catechism, so they're super extra triggered. Now here's one. We we use the new city catechism, which is triggering oh, for some people. Tim Keller. Yeah. Tim Keller's uh uh-huh. Tim Keller. But it's a good catechism. Tony
1: Evans has one. Tony Evans had uh, one? No, I said if he did. Oh. He's got a study Bible now.
4: Joel Osteen yes, has I saw one. That. Joel Osteen Everyone has, a has a study Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a study Bible. With, uh, <laughs> next week. with Joel Osteen's catechism, it says, uh, you know, what is the Bible? And it says, this is my Bible. <laughs> yeah,
6: yeah. it is. It is what I said that I am.
4: <laughs> I don't see any questions up are popping out in particular. Can I make you uncomfortable, Nick, with a uh, question? Yeah, I feel single. That Will you, there's, there's will you ever rows. do
3: talk about the C.S. Lewis post you made a while back? Oh, uh, yeah. no. I'll leave it in the dust. Okay. That's it. <laughs> well, what, what do you want to know about it? Uh, because th- I've never read C.S. Lewis personally. I've never read a book by him, but I have read um, Martin Lloyd-Jones' um, opinions on Lewis, and they oh. are not favorable
4: at all so they didn't even consider him a christian oh hmm. that's that's interesting that. i'd like to read that um so c.s lewis was a big influence for me coming out of atheism i read mere christianity yeah and then right. i re-picked it up several years later and i read it again and i was like what is happening because mm-hmm. at the end of the day lewis is not a theologian and um actually he's been labeled uh evangelicals favorite heretic by several people yeah. um i, I mean his he called substitutionary atonement kind of silly he believed in inclusivism he believed in the necessity of the sacraments he believed in purgatory he believed in white magic the list just kind of goes on He he's out there
0: and Ooh, really i yeah. mean
4: i i said in my post too i can appreciate him as an author i have his books on my shelf right behind me um i can appreciate him as a writer just like i would tolkien but i would never mm-hmm. call tolkien a brother because he was a catholic same kind of situation for me but does that answer your question, Paul?
3: Yeah, pretty much. I just want to correct myself. I don't know if Lloyd Jones referred to him as non-Christian or non-evangelical, but they're, that's basically the
4: same. So, there's a trend. Really, yeah, it does answer. Yeah, he he was an Anglican. So yeah, I know. Th- there seems to be a trend with those guys being really loose with do- loose with doctrine, but.
5: So I um, read part uh, big chunks of mere Christianity in c- school um, in college, and we learned uh, some of you know he has some good arguments, you know, for who Christ is, like the he was either you know a lunatic or t- you know that famous argument. liar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, that was my first really introduction to him, and I and I loved. Um, his approach there and his apologetics there and then uh, forgot about it and picked up the book again uh, a few, a few years ago and started hearing these, what you just called him <laughs> and um, all those different <laughs> claims he was making and things like that and had for and went back and um, I didn't give it much thought until again recently. And I asked my husband about it cause he, he has mere Christianity and he's always talked about how much he loved it. And he said, well, and I gave him some of the uh, quotes and stuff that he would say that kind of says all those um, things about atonement and things. And he said, yeah, that sounds kind of crazy, but it's like, how we did. How come we didn't pick that up when we first read it? Like you were saying, Nick, um, you kind of go back later after you've been uh, more learned in scripture and stuff and see that. But I do like some of the things he says. I need to read more myself about some of these claims about him, though. So. Just dig into that
4: yeah my, my biggest concern with him was in mere Christianity he he makes a, a statement about inclusivism basically saying that yes that yeah. you, you don't necessarily need Christ you have Christ in your yeah. religion yes and I was like mm, right. no sorry I think I think that's <sighs> just like whenever you're a young Christian and you're reading something like I, I always make it a joke one of my first books as a Christian was Rob Bell's Love wins
6: <laughs> oh, god. and anyone yeah. who yeah. knows
4: anything I mean I didn't take it seriously I was like oh this is interesting uh, and so thank god obviously that I didn't go down that path right. but I mean that's just how it works whenever you're a young Christian I think right. did you know that Rob
3: yeah. Bell came out with a movie that's titled The Heretic
4: I have I've been watching like a documentary
3: watch about himself, oh, about himself. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted well, to watch it but I, I never it found
6: correctly. it yeah Ooh.
3: yeah Interesting. He's a character. He's something. Very much. So I see a question that pops up. Should women wear heads, headscarves when praying slash preaching? I think that answers all day still. still.
0: <laughs> a lot of people have opposing opinions on this. Yeah. Um, I say no. We don't need to. What do you say? That's my quick answer. What's your quick answer, Leah?
5: My quick answer is if you want to, there's no harm in it. Right. And it's not a Yeah. And if you don't, then that's fine as well. Um, I've heard good arguments that, you know, the, your hair is your head covering. Um, this is for, is it first Corinthians 14 where all this comes from? Um,
3: uh, second Corinthians 11, if I'm not wrong.
5: Okay. There may be a couple of places where, where it talks about the woman's covering, yeah, um,
0: um here it's right here but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved so basically what it is is and this is what I believe I know a lot of people disagree and that's okay I don't think it's a sin issue like Leanne said but it, it was a symbol for the day of submission and headship to your husband and to Christ and just like we wear wedding bands today as a symbol of submission and to our husbands and that we're married to him that in that day women differentiated themselves with their head coverings. It would almost be like you don't wear man's clothing or like it would be, it would be disgraceful for a woman to shave her head completely because that would be her glory. Um, yeah. That's your head covering. Yeah. Uh I can point people to, um,
5: I'm going to, i plug often dale and veronica
0: partridge yeah yes. they did a very
5: in-depth they, yeah um and they do land on the side that uh she covers her head when she prays but um they go through it verse by verse and it's a lengthy podcast i don't remember the yeah. title of it but it was this year and um mm-hmm. and they talk about it and why it was probably one of the first really good in-depth Uh, podcasts or studies I had ever really listened to about it and I appreciate where they land on it um, but they also don't say it's a sin issue but they land on the side that it's saying women should have a head covering so and that um, women up until the 50s or 40s were covering their head in some way when they were in church it kind of morphed into fancy hats and things like that but it stopped with the feminist movement and Mm -hmm. you gotta kind of ask why so anyway it's an interesting podcast if anybody out there wants to go listen to that
0: in-depth study on on it. It is and, interesting. Um, and this is what John MacArthur's commentary says on it. In the culture of Corinth, a woman's covered head um, while ministering or worshiping was a symbol to signify a subordinate relationship to her husband. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was for so, only for
5: married women. I think is also what Dale and Veronica say in their podcast.
0: He says the apostle is not laying down an absolute law for women to wear veils or coverings in all churches for all time, but is declaring that the symbols basically were for that day. Some things are cultural and some things
4: are. Didn't R.C. Sproul, uh, Paul, hold to uh, head coverings being universal?
0: Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. Mm
4: -hmm. I know, Paul, you have opinions because you like Corinthians. Yeah, but I don't have them now because everything was basically answered.
6: Okay. Well, there you go. Here's
0: the here's the other thing that I think about with it. Um, if it's a sin to pray or prophesy without covering a head, then most women in our culture. I mean, you think about Elizabeth Elliot. I mean, think about the best woman you know in your life is living in unrepentant sin. Or not covering her head every time she prays or prophesies, a.k.a. teaches.
6: Mm-hmm. So
0: don't you think God would immediately reveal that in so many women's lives that are living out their calling every single day? So that's the one thing that I think about is if, it, if it's a sin issue, then this would be very different, in my opinion, um, to how people were being um, disciplined and in ongoing sin.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I think it is culturally bound. And I believe that I heard R.C. Sproul talking about this and saying that women who went along in the streets of Corinth with loose hair were basically telling others by their appearance that they were prostitutes, that they didn't Mm -hmm. um, submit to any man. So I think it is cultural. Besides 1 Corinthians, is a very specific culturally and church-related letter. So I don't think that can apply to... Um, in, a, in a universal sense, to the whole church.
0: Okay, agree.
4: Yeah, I take the same position that it was cultural over um, over universal. Okay. A lot of a lot of Corinthians gets kind of.
0: Yeah, because you have to decipher between.
4: Yeah, and that just goes to show your, how her, uh, how important hermeneutics is, and so with that, you need to go listen to exactly. Paul. Exactly. Yeah. Paul's the man. Yeah. um let's see did i hear correctly and rc sproul believed that
3: that was a universal command i believe so
5: yeah and his wife oh. covered her head really?
3: i i personally know her do you yeah Interesting. she's I, she's really she's the best
0: i'm sure she uh, is yeah for sure yeah but think about it though like what i was saying earlier is that saying that women who are not doing it every time they pray are sinning, mm-hmm. and the scripture tells us right. when we're in when we're in unrepentant ongoing sin that God doesn't even hear our prayers, so is that what there's you know what I'm saying, so yeah, it yes. can't be universal that or
4: yeah that, that that kind of raises an interesting uh question in general because I guarantee like with myself, there's unrepentant sin that I'm just not aware of right now,,
0: mm-hmm.
4: and so that could be that kind of situation yes as well. but
0: you think of generations of women that have gone their whole entire lives living out the faith god working immensely i mean incredibly in their lives mm-hmm. and they've never once had covered yeah i mean god reveals your sins to you especially if you're in the same one unrepentantly for your full entire life yeah. the spirit works within you to convict you of sin
3: yeah but given that we sin every single yeah. minute in some or other way, I don't think you can be consciously aware of every single sin that you have committed, and if you don't repent, you're living in a repentant sin,
0: right. but while you're praying and every time you pray you're sinning, I just don't I just don't buy that argument because I believe God would immediately convict you at some point in your whole life that you're doing it wrong
4: I don't. I don't know, because I mean, honestly, even my prayers, my good works are all still tainted in motive to some degree.
0: Mm. Okay.
6: No, <laughs> I,
4: don't,
0: like, I, don't, how, I, don't, I don't know. I don't.
4: I don't think I I've think ever said a, a sinless prayer. prayer before. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think I could say that about myself—that I was praying and that I was praying for things from a purely good motive at all times i don't know that
0: well not at all times but you can't say that you've never prayed a sinless prayer with a pure motive
4: Mm, i i I would never i would never be brave enough to say that
3: neither would i i don't Mm -hmm. trust myself for that
4: yeah i know that my sin goes far deeper than i can perceive and that even whenever i'm praying for things like god help me uh, glorify you or something like that. It it always has selfish move. some type of yeah, some type of selfish motive. Because at the end of the day, we're we're free from the power of sin, but not the presence of it, and so it still lingers in.
0: Okay.
4: Interesting discussion.
0: I know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, but I still don't buy it. But it's fine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not that I don't buy it. Neither, it's, uh, I, I don't
3: think it's a universal command.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, I, ahead, I
6: completely
4: agree with you that it's not universal. I was just kind of yeah. going off the the concept of sin. Yeah,
0: yeah,
4: yeah. Um what do you guys you guys see any questions that pop out in particular? I don't think we have any more that's related to the particular subject. No, I think that was the last one. Alex. Know.
1: Uh I could throw one that's not. Let's I'd do like it to get your guys' perspective. We've talked about it a few times, I think. Um, but uh, is it appropriate to talk about election when sharing the gospel? Why and why not? No. No, I don't think it is. No. All right, moving on.
0: Did the woman run down the street after she saw the risen Christ and say, those who are elected, please follow Christ. me? <laughs> yeah.
6: You yeah, know, what I frustrates.
3: Think can't use it in a very good way to yeah. share the gospel to anyone. You can yeah, share yeah, that
6: but the reality that
3: Christ has a chosen people among all these fallen creatures. And if you want to be a part of that, then, well, repent and believe.
4: I see it as man can barely understand the gospel, and his uh, man cannot understand yeah, the gospel in his unregenerate like
3: sin. To, to preach this yeah.
4: yeah. I mean, even whenever you talk about compatibilism, say, uh, there's naturalistic, secular versions of compatibilism. So you, you could be miscommunication, spiritual truths. And they'll be thinking that you're talking about naturalism or whatever it may be. I don't know. But
1: I I find it, I wouldn't say frustrating, but I get it uh, quite often in my DMs that people are like, hey, uh, when you share the gospel, do you, do you talk about Calvinism? Do you like bring that up and make that the focal point? I'm like, no. No. I'm like, probably not even for like the first year of talking <laughs> to somebody about Christ. <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> I mean, wise.
1: That's like yeah, that's way uh-huh. in the background of what I talk yeah. about. I might bring up elements of it, but I'm not going to put forth that doctrine because it's just, when you preach the gospel, you you preach that they are a sinful and fallen creature and that only the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ can free them from their bondage of sin.
4: So what do you think about saying that uh, Jesus died for you?
1: I don't like that. Yeah, me
4: neither. I don't, I don't like it. You I don't can't think it's the find gospel.
3: that in, in the New Testament? No. I mean, in, in the book of Acts, in the apostolic preaching, you can't find that phrase. Nope.
4: It's kind of presumptuous.
1: It is. So
3: here, I think it's mainly an appeal to making something come out from the will of the person you're preaching to. Yeah,
4: it's yeah. An, it's, it's it's to evoke an like an emotional response.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. Prepare your heart. <laughs> open the door of
4: your
3: heart.
1: Open, open the door to your
4: heart. And let Jesus in. He's 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 sitting out in the lobby, waiting patiently. The lobby. So here, here's a question that we might have some differing views on. I know that I'll probably have a awesome. different view. Uh, was that sarcastic awesome? I can't tell anymore.
5: Um, me either. Let's hear the question and maybe I'll it
4: <laughs> So many of my Christian, uh, no, why is it say Many of my Christian mom friends say things like, God told me or laid it on my heart to dot, dot, dot. And I guess the question would be, is this appropriate or how would you respond to that? Are they jokes?
5: <laughs> Here's my take. <laughs> Here's my take on it. Is from my experience, um, this could this can get I mean, I'm not gonna go lengthy, but the discussion is lengthier than what my answer is right now, is that um people who say this, um, I think most of the time don't mean it literally. Um, like they don't really believe that God spoke audibly. Uh, to them and told them something I think they have been indoctrinated by a few generations of believing that that phrasing um now the person I've learned most from this is Justin Peters and um this goes into Beth Morgan because she promotes this idea of being able to hear the Holy Spirit or something like that um You know, tuning into the voice of God, uh, experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, all of those things. It goes all the way back to that. And um, I think people, when they say it, they have pure intentions. So like this mom friend, like the question says, or your, you know, friend in Bible study. I think what they really mean is that the Holy Spirit prompted them to uh, do something or read something in Scripture or the Holy Spirit brought scripture back to their mind or something like that. But the way that Justin Peters says it, and I really like it, is that you can't exegete experiences. You can't exegete scripture. So why did, quote unquote, the Holy Spirit lead you down a different road one day home, and then you met someone and you were able to share the gospel? We don't really— know, like we don't know all the ways the Lord works. We can't exegete that experience. Uh, we can exegete scripture and we know based on scripture, how God speaks to us, which is through scripture. So um, I just think when people say that, just from my own experience, because I have family members that talk this way and friends that talk this way, I don't think they mean that they're hearing the audible voice of God. I think they just mean the Holy Spirit prompted them or they felt something just came to their mind and you don't really know why things come to your mind. So that's kind of a lengthy answer. It goes into a lot of like, I think, cultural Christianity and why we say these things. Beth Moore is a big promoter of it. Uh, I think it kind of started with experiencing God and Henry Blackaby and teaching how to hear God's voice. And there's a whole history behind that. Um, but I don't know if Katie, you have anything to say about it.
0: Uh, um, You covered most of it other than oftentimes we see the Holy Spirit's work in hindsight rather than in foresight. So we'll say, okay, I see like the guiding of the Holy Spirit there and why that happened and now and how God was working. Um, But I do think that people use those phrases to say like, this is authoritative. So listen to me. They obviously abuse it. So listen to me and it will be something completely off the wall.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I think like your typical Southern Baptist, you've just heard that for generations. Yeah. And you say yeah. that when you really mean like, I'm doing something that would be biblically based, but people way overuse it, yes. way overuse it. when this when the spirit's not leading them at all. Sometimes you just think things like
6: you yeah. just,
5: you have a mind that works. God given, has given you a mind and you just, you remember something or I think one of the things to do is. If someone tells you that, take it back to scripture
0: every Um, time.
5: Yeah. Every time. Does it align with scripture? Or if you have a thought, like you feel like prompted to say something or do something, pause and take it back to scripture. Pray about it. Yeah. Pray about it. Seek wisdom and counsel before you just go and say those things. But like, if someone's telling you, I have a word for you or something like that, the Lord laid this on my heart to say this, um, let them yes. say what they want to say, but then just take it with a grain of salt. Like, does it line up with Scripture? I mean, just because they say that to you doesn't mean it holds any kind of weight or anything like that. So I hope that explains it a little bit. I think so.
4: What do you think, Alex yeah. and Paul?
3: I'm with Stephen Lawson in that, where he said that if anyone comes and tells me I have a, a word from the Lord to you, if you're going to give me a
4: chapter and a verse, right.
5: I'm not going yes, to listen to you. Yeah, yes. I agree. Yeah. Exactly. I'm
4: yeah. kinda I'm kind of right. in a different boat here. Um, I think there's a good amount of people who say stuff like that and they do are or they are just talking nonsense. Yeah. But yeah. I think a that's lot of people true. describe the Holy Spirit leading them to do something as that. And so for example, if I say something to Paul like, Hey Paul, um I felt like I should share this with you, that's kind of my way of saying the same thing. And if mm-hmm. it's something that's of course biblical, then there's no problem but i do think that there's there's that weird mixture of thinking god is speaking to me versus right, the holy right. spirit is leading me yeah totally yeah, right. i agree exactly. with that but it's yeah. dangerous language yeah that's what i'm saying
3: the, the language is misleading stop being so used to using that and but, yeah. i'd also
0: refrain from the language like if you want to send someone a verse then just send it don't give right. the don't give the the pre talk just say this verse I've yeah. it, this verse i found helpful this morning that could be so even, even more shocking in I the what? sense
3: of wow god god is trying i mean not trying god doesn't try anything but god god laid this on my brother or sister's heart mm-hmm. and they're yep. sending it to me so thank you but yep. not, right. not god wanted me to tell this to you and send this verse right. to
4: you and then you send the verse that's unnecessary i think it's I a,
0: agree just send the verse
4: i think it's important to to kind of stress that whenever we're talking about this particular subject though because I do think that a lot of people hear it and they say, oh, so the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything anymore. And I think that's really what people hear and see not, whenever we yes, talk about I think that,
5: that is what people hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: Alex, sure. you had a thought. What, what were you about to say? I was just going to say uh,
1: a collection of what you all <laughs> were saying. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to really elaborate more on it. But um, I mean, I'm a very staunch holder that the gifts have ceased. And if you talk to me at any you mean the
0: apostolic gifts?
1: Yes. Yes. The apostolic gifts. Yeah. Um, Just for clarification prophecy, tongues, and healing. Yeah. Okay. That's what I hold to. Very staunch belief to it. And um, nobody's yet to prove me wrong. Just to throw that out there, you are more than welcome to DM me and try to. I can start speaking in Spanish right now.
4: (laughs) Okay, Paul. (laughs) <laughs> with that said, with that said, we will invite two continuationists to come on and discuss it with us on the round table.
1: Yes, That'd that'll be awesome. awesome. Platform is wide open. Anybody who believes a gift is still here, you are more than welcome to join the round table. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, but I, I think you know I agree that the language is very, very, uh, very poorly used in today's culture, and I think the church is really at fault for this because. Yes. They, yeah. you get preachers that stand on stage and literally through a message they will say God is telling me yes. to say this. Right. No, yeah. He's not. <laughs> I'm. I'm sorry, you deceived crowd of people, but He's not. Yeah. And, I, I think now I preach. Okay, I have preached more in the last two months than I have in my entire life, and, and praise God for that. And and I can tell you, standing in the pulpit, I have a sermon prepared, and I put time into the sermon hours and hours every week into my sermons. Is that right? I don't know. Is it wrong? I don't know. But I put at least eight to 10 hours of prep time into my sermon from from conception to, to, to Sunday morning preaching. And I've gotten to the pulpit and I've looked at my notes halfway through my sermon and I'm like, I don't want to say that now. I don't want to say that now. Or I'm going to say this now. That I feel is a leading of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
6: I feel I that
1: those are moments that the spirit is telling me this is not necessary right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is okay. But yeah, I, I can't go and say, okay, God is telling me this to tell you guys now.
4: I don't think that's appropriate. No. Bas- yeah. Basically it's better to be safe than sorry, is what you're kinda of saying. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what do you guys I'm gonna poke the bear? So what do you guys think mm-hmm. about the the phrase the still small voice?
5: Hmm. It's my
0: favorite.
4: I said, Jesus, uh, <laughs>
0: that's
4: what I think. So, no, let's, yeah. I'll let y'all answer here. and then I'll thicken the plot.
0: Okay. Well We've all got a still small voice. It goes all the time. <laughs> and you can also, that can bring in contemplative prayer in the new uh-huh. age, where mm-hmm. you empty your mind. And then <laughs> so many books have written yeah. plug for Jesus calling. Mm-hmm. Um, with the still small voice (laughs) that they say is Jesus. So you got to be really careful with that. Like I said, the Holy Spirit, you often see its leadership in hindsight after it's happened. And you've got to test everything against Scripture. So whatever comes into your mind, if it's not Scripture, then it's it's nothing. So it's like Leanne said, if you just happen to, I'm not going to, Or I'll use a different example. I'll go to this gas station instead of the other gas station. And you find out that the gas station prior blew up while you would have been there. Well, that would have been the Holy Spirit's leadership in your mind probably to, well, not probably, definitely to go somewhere else. So it's not going to be like a little angel on your shoulder telling you to do something.
5: Well, the still small voice comes from um, Elijah's I mean that's what everybody pulls from, and it's one time in scripture, um, and it's specific to Elijah on the mountaintop, and mm-hmm. um, uh, it's he actually heard it outside of himself, so it wasn't in his mind. Um, he heard it audibly right. around him, and it was uh, God speaking. To him, and it was specific to what his task was at hand. Uh, There's no other time that that happens, Um, at least that phrasing that everybody loves to use. Um, People want to uh, prescribe scripture to them when it's just descriptive, and we're just learning here this instance of uh, God speaking to Elijah. You need to read the whole account. You know what's going on before this happens and afterwards, and... Um, then realize that it's not about you. That that because you mm-hmm. use that phrase stills my voice. So that's what I'm going back to. That's where it comes from. And um, I think the other one people like to use is you know um, the sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice and and and, and now yeah and follow me and follow me. And um, I think Priscilla Shire loves to use that one. Actually, she has a whole study about. That particularly, and um, and she's and, huge for contemplative prayer, yeah, right. She is huge for that. So, um, that's just uh, I, I, you can help me with that one, but I think it's um, just a uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like an analogy, not an analogy, but like a, a, we're we're told who hears uh, who can hear Jesus' voice and we know him, but it's not, it's for salvation. I think, um, not always after that, if that makes sense. I hope I'm explaining that correctly, but that's where I stand with that. Um, people love to take the Elijah out of context and it doesn't mean what it means, what they think it means, I guess.
4: I kind of have a gist of what Alex is going to say. (laughs) What are you going to, what are you going to (laughs) say?
1: I don't know. I might, I might throw, I might throw the wrench in it for you.
4: Well, I have a Uh, wrench too though. Okay, I have one too. Oh,
1: Oops.
6: oh, Everyone I has two Can I throw the first one?
1: Yeah, go ahead. Fire. It's
6: Let's actually a joke,
3: not a wrench. Oh, Stephen uh, Anderson says that John 10:27, um, <laughs> "My sheep hear my voice and they follow me." He believes that that means the King James Bible. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> oh. I've heard I'm not that. Re- I always remember remember <laughs> that
6: <laughs> when I listen to that
1: verse. I don't know why. <laughs> I've
6: never heard um, that.
1: That's
5: interesting.
1: So I'm going to say the stillfall voice uh, is something present within us that we like to blow out of proportion. And uh, so in my recent studies, one of the things that Luther has really held to is, is the, the, the captive bondage of the will. Right. And through the conscience of his self, he has discovered that his will is bound to f- sin, his flesh is bound to sin, and yet he has this alien righteousness of God in him. So he's got these two natures in himself. And so he would view that still small voice as God telling him or, you know, guiding him to whatever his you know, next application is in that instance. Uh, so, I mean, again, as we get to this point where language has to be precise and we have to be um, very, very careful with what we say. And I probably didn't even describe it well enough in that brief motion. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is language with Christianity has to be precise. Yeah. I, I was on class call Tuesday night, and we we're talking about heaven and I made a comment and my teacher, you know at the end of my comments like, you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna burst your bubble right now because this this and this were you know indicating something completely wrong and it's all about hanging on just two words yeah and mm-hmm. so precision in Christianity is everything and so that's why I, I'm careful when we get particular doctrines that you know especially like the trinity uh, understanding that you know how god moves and things like that we have to be careful with that because you can borderline into some really obscure theology uh, heresy and false teachings and all this stuff so i I think the still fall voices still small voices present but i don't think it's in the nature that people think it
4: is yeah So what I was going to say was actually tied onto that. And so I was kind of wondering if you were going to go the Lutheran route with that, because I remember Luther talking about it, but also Calvin had a concept of it. Charles Spurgeon uses the phraseology, the still small voice, Jonathan Edwards, you just name it. But they understood it as being the monergistic work of sanctification, where, Mm -hmm. where the new nature is producing these thoughts and producing the dispositions of where God both wills for you, uh, I can't remember how the verse goes, Paul probably knows off the top of his head, where he works both through us and in us so that we complete our work for God, but it wasn't a special message, it was a means of sanctification, how we understand the new nature in our life and how we respond to it, stuff like that. Is that kind of what you got from your study? Uh, Yeah,
1: and... You know, that's I think that kind of hit it because when you it's the dual nature and I, I think Paul and I got into trouble with this in our early podcast days. I think that I made the comment that I thought we were only single natured and I think I got somebody, we got a couple emails and some DMs and we just got railed on it. (laughs) And so, you know, and but by studying, you know, you start to unpack things and that's the whole point of what we do right is as, as pastors and theologians and and followers of christ we learn every day we are learning new things about the mysteries of christ you're not going to know everything to f- in the, within five minutes of being a christian you're not going to know everything within 50 years of being a christian you're unpacking stuff every day and yeah. and i'll tell you what this doctrine is not easy doctrine to deal with the average christian doesn't need or care to know about their dual nature. They know that they're a sinner and they know that they're a saint. That's all they need to know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you start to really peel back this onion, then you start to see, okay, you know, in one side you're the sinner. That's your flesh. It's just constantly craving rebellion against God. It's constantly uh, craving sin of some sort. And that sin could be anything from idleness, laziness, um, to full-blown murder. I mean, it, the scales, you know, so wide. And then you've got the other nature that craves Christ, and that's the uh, the re, uh, regenerated heart. That's that still small voice that's, you know, working on your mind to keep you focused on God, keeping you focused in your prayer, keeping you focused when your devotions and studies and your fellowship with other people.
4: Right, Some would argue that's how you aside from abiding in prayer and the word, that that's how you would walk or keep in step with the spirit, is following that disposition, I guess. I don't know how else you would phrase that. Um, you know the whole thing about Elijah in the cave? It's, it's not about listening
3: to God in the sense of sanctification. I, I really don't think it is. That's not the context. Right. If you read backwards, you read that God was not present in the strong wind or in the earthquake, and I forgot what else is there. But the, the whole point of the passage is that God is not always um, like extravagant or pompous. He's not always demonstrating his power in ways that man is surprised in amazing ways. He's also present in weakness, which Elijah was in right there. He was escaping mm-hmm. from the woman, from the, the king and queen that he just confronted in front of everyone. He yeah. cursed them in, in front of everyone. was like the hero of of israel and then he 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 runs away terrified as a coward so he was in moment of weakness so in in that sense if if we're saying that that the holy spirit can bring scripture to us in the sense of helping us in our weakness i absolutely do agree with that sure but i don't believe that that we have to be listening to a still small voice if anything our still small voice is jeremiah seventeen nine. our hearts are wicked and deceitful. I'm not going to listen to my heart. And if I'm thinking about Scripture, I know it's not my heart, primarily. I do believe it's part of the regenerate heart, but it's um, propelled by the Holy Spirit.
4: Well, that's kind of of what we were arguing, though, Paul, is that you have that dual nature. You're you're simultaneously a sinner and a saint. Yeah, well, I know, but I, I I don't believe that
3: that using the phrase "still small voice" is valid because that's not the. Oh context. yeah,
4: L- Luther, Luther and Calvin didn't use mm-hmm. that terminology. Yeah, Charles didn't. Spurgeon did, but they didn't. They had a different phrase for. It. I can't remember what Al it was Spurgeon called. Spurgeon
3: was a topical preacher, so I I can let him pass on that. So I, I, I love him so.
4: Actually, his what about, his sermon was on that text too. <laughs> what about, oh,
1: wow! Instead of "still small voice," it's. Christ-kicking-the-door-down-in-your-face
4: type uh,
1: voice. Because that's, more
5: like that's really yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah. I, I would argue that that Jeremiah passage doesn't apply to us as saints. And I, that's kind of been a big gripe of mine as I've observed the Reformed camp.
3: I think it does and it doesn't at the same time.
4: Yeah, that's a good that's a good topic that we should touch on sometime. How about yeah. we take a couple more and then we'll call it for the night? You guys see any of that pop out? No,
6: it's all
4: right. good. good. Yeah. All right, let's see. Well, I we got right?
3: one. All right, what you got? Would you rather be Lutheran or Eastern or- Eastern Orthodox?
4: I'm sorry, by the way. Wait, <laughs> why does it have to be that two? <laughs> I know. Because it's almost like they are alike, and yet they're not Lutherans. Because uh, Eastern Orthodox <laughs> denies <laughs> justification by faith.
5: Lutheran,
0: mm, yeah. biblical. I don't
4: know. <laughs> what is yeah, biblical.
0: More. I'd just rather be biblical. I don't yeah. know. <laughs>
4: I had a dollar for every time I heard that. uh I'm, just kidding. Uh-huh, I'm sure. <laughs> Well,
0: I don't know enough about, I, I'm a country girl. We don't have any of that around here, so I don't know what any of that is.
4: Lady, I grew up in Bandera, Texas, the cowboy okay. capital of the world.
0: <laughs> well, you don't sound like it, so.
4: I know, we had that conversation Ooh. before. I
0: know.
4: I don't have the accent, so I'm not Authentic. Nah. I think I'd be one of those Lutheran boys. They seem to have it better.
0: We don't have that down here.
4: Yeah, but well, those Eastern Orthodox people are kind of funny. I don't really like them. Nope.
0: You're terrible, by the way, at it.
4: That's what they sound like yeah. in Bandera. I don't know if it's terrible. Well, we already know what Alex is going to pick. So what about you, Leanne? Eastern Orthodox.
6: (laughs) There you go.
1: (laughs) Let the hate mail flow.
4: Go play to Icons now. Now Eastern Orthodoxy had a council where they condemned Calvinism as heresy. Yeah, I know. Really? Yeah, they did. I was reading up on it the other day. Eastern Orthodoxy, they're they're a trip, man. They're a mess, man. It's really hard to learn about them. And even whenever you think you have their concepts down, you don't. They're just weird. I mean, I guess that's the Eastern thought versus the Western thought. What are you going to do?
3: I'd be Lutheran because one of my best friends is, is a Lutheran.
4: And you like I'm baptismal gonna...
3: regeneration. And that that man is present here. Oh, that's so sweet. Got around.
4: <laughs> you know, I'd also
5: choose Lutheran, just because. I'm familiar with it. My, my step family was Lutheran and then they converted to Baptist <laughs> once sorry, they joined no. our family. <laughs>
1: I would say a good choice, so, I'm but sorry for that. No. Alex, Alex is going that way soon. <laughs>
5: uh, very soon. Huh? <laughs>
1: I, you know what? I was thinking about this actually the other day, not Lutheran and Eastern Orthodox, but, uh, I forgot. It, Nick, it might've been about the, 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 the guy we talked to the other day. Hmm. Um, that we did the live about yeah. on Thursday, your your best buddy Eric, yeah. Eric, yeah, yeah, that Reverend, yeah, we go back, way back, I hear. <laughs> What's up? And uh, so I was, you know, I was thinking on my way to work this morning. I'm like, you know, he's he's very much anti-Calvinist. That's fine, and you know, but I think when it boils down to it, there's there's to to call yourself a true Lutheran, you would have to agree pretty much with almost everything that Luther taught to call yourself a true Lutheran, And there's probably very few people out there that would say that I would not call myself a Lutheran in that case, because there's things that Luther taught that I don't agree upon. Uh,
0: that would be the anti-Semitic or? Eh,
1: you know, that's a small, that's a, just a small piece of, of his late, late in life, his old senile life <laughs> that uh, you could probably overlook. I, I'm not a big fan of baptismal regeneration. Um, yeah. His his view on the Lord's Supper is a little wonky, and uh, uh, so I mean, off of those two instances, I probably wouldn't agree fully with everything he teaches. So, and and I mean, for me, I'm going to go to the line that just says I'm going to read the reformers, and that's going to include Luther. It's going to be calvin and edwards and knox and owens and and, and i want to absorb what they they wrote about and then when i look at okay so how does this reflect to me and what does the scripture say then i can build my doctrine out of that collection of thoughts I, i'm a mutt if you would i, I got all the reformers i like them I, most of them because there's some out there that are just kind of way out there but i i you know, I wouldn't call myself a traditional Lutheran. I wouldn't call myself a traditional Calvinist. Just kind of right in the middle, and I'm perfectly comfortable with that right now. I
4: just tend to bully you. It, it's like I an know. in-house joke now. The problem it is, the problem is, if we keep saying it, it's going to be a word of faith, and it's going to happen. <laughs> oh my!
6: <laughs>
3: uh, it's hilarious. I have a much. So too, I got I the last one. All right, what you got? I know this one's going to be interesting. It's hell eternal.
6: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Define I know hell. why his questions in there define so, hell and Nick, define eternal rob
4: bell so <laughs> oh. take us away i, I think that's really <laughs> define hell and define eternal because even annihilationists <laughs> would say that hell is eternal i don't know if y'all hmm. ever heard an annihilation say that before
5: no i've not heard them say. Yeah. I've Did
6: heard know the,
4: john one? what's that john, john
1: stott Scott. yeah
4: oh yeah yeah it so
1: because i got his, some of his books
4: so, if you mean that hell, the the lake of fire is burning eternally, and continues to burn, then yes. If you mean that destruction is once and for all and lasts for eternity, and there's non-existence afterwards, then no. That's that's where I would land on that.
6: Yep.
5: Interesting.
4: <laughs> Any thoughts, ladies?
0: I don't. Would you say that again, Nick?
4: So. An annihilationist would say that the lake of fire is a temporal thing that you get thrown in, you get destroyed, and that destruction is eternal. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, hell would be eternal because the the consequence of it is eternal. However, traditional or however you want to define it, it would be that hell is a lake of fire that continues on eternally. It doesn't destroy once and then cause you to cease to exist. Does that clarify at all?
6: Maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I think that I think it's eternal and that we and that you're forever tormented. I don't know about like forever. I don't know specifically how we're forever tormented, whether mm-hmm. that would be fire or what, but I think that it's forever because we all we all will receive an eternal body. Um, and we all will need a, an eternal body to. Or we, to be able to be in the new earth and heaven and then they will also need one to be able to sustain in hell just like an eternal body of an angel or not that will be angels or a demon but they have to have eternal bodies as well
1: wait i thought we were going to all get halos when we go to heaven uh, <laughs> and harp play a harp uh,
0: well you <laughs> might but <laughs> I don't-
5: I've always, um, and it's only because I've not done extensive study. I mean, I've I'm familiar with other different viewpoints, but I've not myself done what do I think or believe. But what I've always uh, believed is that uh, just what Katie said—that it's an eternal punishment that you're not destroyed, um, and then you cease to exist, but you have an eternal punishment. I don't know again what that would look like if it's fire or. Ah, uh, just separation from God and His wrath on you is your punishment for all eternity. Um, but I've I've never held the belief that after the final judgment, that person who is condemned to hell is destroyed and ceases to exist. That's that. But that's my lack of study. But that that's that's what I've always um, believed, I guess.
4: Well I know Paul and Alex's view, but here Paul, is is this an essential doctrine? There's a follow up question for you.
6: Hmm.
3: How long are how long are we gonna have like <laughs>
4: questions like this?
0: Yeah, you're gonna have to turn this into a two part series. This,
4: this could go for thirty minutes if you ask that question. Yeah. How about we save it for the next round table? We'll discuss that. <laughs> I'll let you sure. we can prep up. I'll on just that.
3: lay out my my position on two verses. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they would be tormented day and night, forever and ever.
6: Yeah.
3: And then verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh-huh. Right. Yep. Okay. So that would answer it. Yeah. So here's,
6: the, yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. So, so here's the, the question that would also kind of put the wrench in the uh, annihilation uh, viewpoint is, if they
4: think it's temporal what is that time frame Mm. right so whenever i was reading up on the position the position is that the options are you either have eternal life through jesus or you have eternal death and so death would be ceasing to exist and it's eternal you don't have a chance to come back to life so they parallel it with life well and death and death is the absence of life obviously so they say that if you're in hell being tormented for eternity you have eternal life. You just have it in hell. Yeah. That's, the, that's one of the positions I've read in terms of annihilation. I've heard that actually as well. Except that yeah. you're away from the
3: source of life,
0: right. which
4: makes throws a huge problem in there. You have yeah. to define what life is, too, whenever you start getting into that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Well, just be a soul. You have an eternal body. You'll be in existence. You'll be able to think, feel. Well, that's the question. Everything. Is is that it's life?
4: That, that would be the question. is Is that being... Like is that life? Is that living? I guess. Then they would, yeah. So they would say that you still have eternal life; you just have it in hell.
5: Okay, I've heard people say it that way
6: before.
4: It's it's very it's a very interesting deep sub- subject that uh-huh. certainly that semantics, may Yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty straightforward in scripture, but yeah, it is. of course the the idea of hell being literal fires, uh, there's there's a lot of traditional and cultural. Uh, like, a lot of us believe that hell is currently existing now, but it's not. And that's just one of those things that the culture just kind of threw in our face, and we kind of took it, so.
5: And
3: also, destruction is not really scary.
5: Right, exactly. That's what I've thought, too. It's like, Okay, I'm just gonna reject God now, and then I'll just cease to exist. No yeah. big deal. It's like an atheist; like they just believe they'll cease to exist. So it's not—I don't want to say it's scary. Not scary for them. I don't want to—you don't want to scare someone into that decision. But like, why would an atheist care? Because yeah. that's what they think is gonna happen to them anyway.
4: To be fair, so, right. to be but fair, I see, don't think that would be a solid rebuttal. I don't think that would be a good argument. I don't think.
0: But we yeah. see straight in Scripture from the rich slave master. He is in hell.
6: Luke 16. I mean, he's
0: not in the eternal like a fire yet, but he's in hell and he is miserable and is begging for them to tell his brothers on earth because he's so miserable that he just wishes for a drop of water on his tongue. Yeah. We know that you don't cease to exist.
4: Well, that that would be—so they, they would argue that would be the pre—because it's Hades, it's the grave, and it's outer darkness and, and Revelation, Hades and the grave— or Hades and death get thrown into hell, so they would say, "Yeah, that's the temporal waiting." Uh, so it's only
3: Satan. I mean, the Antichrist and the false prophet are they only tormented forever?
4: I don't know. I haven't. I haven't read that deep into it. I just. I just remember I dwelled into it a little bit, and then I was like, "Yeah, there's more important things to look into."
0: Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, Scripture says it plainly. They're just doing a lot of gymnastics.
4: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, that's what I think. You're not an originist.
0: <laughs>
3: you have like a really strength thing with origin dude you mm. kind of love him me
1: yeah I, yep. yeah 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 uh, is this an intervention yes <laughs> we'd like to sit you down naked and have a conversation i <laughs> think I strike the last word
4: yeah <laughs> I, I was just g- a joke i was gonna say like i mean he he it's hard because he was so helpful And then he wasn't. And it's like, I kind of feel bad for the guy. But then I'm, I don't know. He's an interesting fellow. (laughs) But I don't love him. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I love John Wesley. (laughs) We now we know that. Um, I have one more question for for the ladies before we go. Okay. Um, Okay. The question is, uh, let let me make sure I'm reading this right. Why is Katie wrong about Calvinism? <laughs>
0: oh, gosh. Uh,
4: <laughs> um, I'm
6: just Well, playing. I
0: don't really know how to answer the question, so I guess you'll have to answer it because <laughs> Katie's not wrong. So, why do you think Katie is wrong?
4: <laughs> I'm just playing We can save that for another. Uh, we're going to have a formal debate. I think uh, her church is hosting us. Oh, we'll,
0: no, we're not.
4: We'll fly in a moderator. <laughs> And then she can teach it in a mixed congregation about Calvinism. Going horseback with a Magnum 44.
0: <laughs> there you go. That's a lot Eagle. more probable to other things.
3: Like the actual cowboy gun, it has to be a 44 Magnum, dude. I'll go oh,
4: yeah. I'll go get my 10-gallon hat. Do it. <laughs> well, uh, we can close this out. Do you guys want to point people to y'all's um, I don't know what they're called. I can't think right now. It's late. Um, social to your to your stuff before we get out of here
5: yeah sure um so leanne is um i'm at faithful defender just at faithful defender on instagram i'm also have a facebook page that you could search on the same handle and um i'm on twitter as well but i'm definitely the most active on instagram typically respond to questions and comments and things there so uh reach out if you like and um if you're a woman
0: <laughs> and
5: uh, we can have a conversation about some of these things
0: yeah so i'm katie my handle is at the berean millennial um and that's the same for my twitter handle uh my twitter is more political so if you're into politics uh, hit me up over there. I'm, I'm a little sassy conservative a little bit over there. So, uh, And then I have a Facebook page as well, um, The Brian Millennial. And Leanne and I do lives on there sometimes. We're actually going live. What I don't even know, Leanne, what day? Uh, Monday. Yeah,
5: this is going to be Monday. Uh, we're going to do a live over there um, with some other uh, friends about Christmas and its pagan origins and how we shouldn't se- celebrate it i was kidding. kidding. So we're, gonna we're just going to talk about, about Christmas.
4: Those are some fighting words <laughs> <Okay>. right here. <laughs> been... yeah, I was yeah. going no, 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 no.
5: to say we're going to celebrate it sarcastic. I celebrate Christmas. We're going to talk about all of the the lies behind the pagan origins and stuff. Okay. Yeah,
0: and why we can celebrate it. I'm looking at my Christmas tree right now. It's not a um, it's not a satanic tool. Yeah. So we're going to be talking. Said, uh, you
1: guys don't sacrifice it's
0: chickens not... to the Christmas tree. And, <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk how terribly the verse is used over and over about decorating a tree with gold and silver and how that has absolutely nothing to do with the Christmas tree. Yeah. So...
4: Silver
0: so I went to
1: politics, to- by the way, Katie, so I'll, I'll I'm follow, you. follow you on Twitter now.
0: Well, only if you're a
5: conservative will you like me. Yeah.
6: yeah.
5: <laughs> Everything that we say on Twitter has to do with politics. Like, yeah. I think we both kind of censored a little bit for Instagram, but I don't yeah. know why that is. Why is that with well, because well, because Twitter, I know I hate
4: Twitter. Twitter by the, way. I know, I t- Twitter's the worst. It's
6: such i I'm sesh- way more.
4: Absolutely. I'm way more outspoken on Instagram than I am Twitter. T- Twitter's like, t- Twitter's like walking into an alley with like a hundred gang members and being yeah. like, "Hey, come get me."
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's because everyone in the world is watching you. Whereas on our Instagram, we're sort of in our little bubbles where people follow me that are like minded. On Twitter, it's a free for all frenzy. Yeah. You know I enjoy
4: that. So. I agree. I don't. T- <laughs> yeah. I don't really talk politics. Paul's all about that.
0: I love politics. politics is
5: fun.
4: Paul always yeah. tries to get me into politics, and I <laughs> just get into it. Not really. I'm just playing. <laughs> Maybe
5: those can be some of our new lives in 2020, Katie's. So we can talk about some of the politic issues. Oh gosh, we'll
0: really we head towards I'm
1: election. A, ooh, you know what? You guys can get my wife to come on because my wife is a closet. Not really closet, but really staunch conservative.
6: Yeah, I
4: thought you were gonna say yeah. Democrat, dude. No, no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> so I thought nervous. you were. I thought you were gonna say Eastern Orthodox. <laughs> She's an Eastern <laughs> Orthodox I mean, I mean. Lutheran
1: Democrat. Wait, why? Uh, wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we got to bring her out of the conservative closet.
1: Yeah, she she doesn't really. She'll she'll maybe voice her opinion every once in a while. But I'll I'll let her I'll let her know the invitations out there. But yeah. I. When I first started dating her, I was a Democrat.
6: No, were Uh, you saved?
1: Just (laughs) (laughs) kind (laughs) of, not really, but
6: uh,
1: (laughs) it was it was a lot of debates with her father and me over the years because he's a hardcore conservative, like he's gun toting, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, Rush. Yeah, exactly. And by the time uh, I actually got a brain in my head and we got married and I started to uh, be- actually become a, uh, the man I was supposed to be. I realized, wow, I was really stupid. And right. everything I believed was really stupid. And I'm going to not believe that anymore. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. I can't tell you the amount of women that have DM'd me that before they were saved or before sanctification, they told me they were all out feminist, pro choice.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, the Lord really
0: changes you. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that you cannot be anymore, maybe uh several decades ago, but anymore you can't be a Democrat and unless and be living under a rock or mm-hmm. a brand new Christian that is just learning and, and be saved because mm-hmm. of the agenda, the just outright agenda that they have. I just yeah.
4: wanna say make sure you send them mail about that, not me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's fine. I I'll will take it. Happy. I'm very I will
4: happy talk about this. Yeah. I'll take it too. I'm one of those guys well, you. you know those people that are like, you know, well, what do you believe? Well, you know, I just believe the Bible. I'm kinda like that with politics. I'm just a centrist. I believe the Bible. The Bible All does right. have politics though. That's what well, I'm Nick, saying. Let me ask you for, question, for me Nick. for me, I'm I'm a centrist and so I, I don't ascribe to a particular party, but I take each viewpoint and I hold to them and I don't really prefer either level. Before I was saved, I was a really hardcore liberal. But I mean, that's what they do to you in the public school system anyway. So,
6: yeah. What
4: are you oh, gonna do about that?
0: Nick, did you vote? Yes. Okay. That's so there's an impeachment
3: episode coming next, right? There's always an impeachment episode. That's the next round table. Cool.
0: Leah, well, I'll I'll be down I'm for it. I've been following.
5: Yeah, more than happy to talk about that.
4: Y'all can start the square table. I'll sit that <laughs> one. out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul
1: and I have got the the straight fat and fat and uh, single
6: single
4: table <laughs> oh gracious well that will conclude our round table 10 which is just about clocked out at two hours like the last one these just keep getting longer we're gonna have to release it in theaters at some point but that's it thank you for having us this will be up tuesday um yep. and have a great day